0: So good to have you here today and uh, I don't know how many of you this is your first time here but we welcome you. My name is Jason and uh, I'm the lead pastor here and uh, it's Father's Day which means it's about me. (laughs) One day of the year and uh, I saw my wife was cooking something for me, they brought home stuff for me. My wife came, uh, brought home imitation crab meat. That's for me. And uh, anybody here like imitation crab meat? Like, just, I, can, I can just find myself watching something and consume the whole packet of imitation crab meat. That was, that was my wife. And, and she hates it because when I open it partially and put it back in the refrigerator... Everything tastes like imitation crab meat after that. So that's, a, that's an act of love. She hates it with all her being. And this morning I woke up and I had a text from my youngest daughter. Usually Tay, she's the last one to pay homage to me. Um, and uh, she was the first one. She just said all these wonderful words to me. And I just said, I love you the most of all of our children um, today. And then I saw Cammie out there, we're waiting in line um, for um, espressos. And I said, your sister already said how much she loved me and, and stuff. And you haven't said nothing yet. Um, and typically Cammie's first. And she's like, yeah, but I was the first one to make you a father. And I was like, yeah, I remember that day quite well that you made me a father. And, and I'm so proud. I, I have five children. For those of you that don't know, I have a 20-year-old, Cammie, and an 18-year-old, Allie. She just turned 18. And then I have a 15-year-old, soon to be 16 years old, August 11th. And then I have two boys, two adopted sons, um, and uh, Joshua and Caleb, eight and seven right now, soon to be nine and seven. And uh, so I get another crack at just this young age um, of being a father. And Every stage and every age is a blessing and a curse. Uh, all its own. And if I told you I loved being a dad all the time, that would be just a bold-faced lie. There's just some hard, hard days. Aren't there dads? Aren't there moms? Are there dads? Are there moms? Yeah. I think they're harder for moms. But they're, um, th- that's just me with just an audible reading. Um, but I I love bedtimes with my sons. And I loved it with my daughters. And one of the questions I would ask all the way along when they were younger is, what do you want to be when you grow up? And when they're really, really young, it's whatever the last cartoon they watched. And um, my one son, Caleb, loves monster fish. Anybody here like to watch monster fish? Um, No? Uh, It's where they go into swamps and like kind of noodle fish, which is a weird thing. And so I asked Caleb, I'm like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he's like, a fish noodler. And I'm like, I don't even know what that is, but I guess you go into swamps and like tickle their bellies and then you just sort of tackle them and you catch them by tackling them. It's a a pretty cool thing. So he wanted to be a fish noodler, but I asked him about a year ago, I said, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he responded, when I grow up, I want to be a dad. And I was like, wow, that's cool. Why do you want to be a dad? And he's like, well, you get to drive and you get to stay up late and you get to pick up heavy things and you get to say the word stupid. I love that because we told him, you can't use the word bored or dumb or stupid until you get older and you know what those words mean. So he can't wait to use the word stupid someday. And, uh, and I was like, well, do you wanna be a mom someday? And the same question he said, well, I wanna be a dad because even though mom is smarter, you're stronger. <laughs> and I, it was almost like, dad, I love you. <laughs> you know, like up. A, <laughs> backhanded compliment and it's it's very true she's smarter but I am a lot stronger than she is a couple months ago I asked him what do you want to be when you grow up and he said this he said a pastor like you and I was like oh my gosh my son might be a generation third generation pastor my dad was a pastor I'm a pastor and this Holdridge boy thing he might be a pastor and he wants to love people he's got a heart for God he just wants to you know, do what I do. And I was like, well, why do you want to be a pastor? He says, because I want to get up in front with one of those microphones and tell everybody what to do. (laughs) So I guess that's what he thinks I'm doing right now. I'm just up here telling you what to do and uh, barking out orders. So uh, Josh got done with school. And they did a Father's Day card, and this was the Father's Day card that, that came home with him. And on the inside, he had to sort of fill out things. And the first one was, my dad's name is Jason, and I love my dad because I work with my dad. Sort of a little window into his soul. He loves working with me. And the um, second one, is said, my favorite thing to do with my dad is work with wood. And uh, you would think he would use the easy word, wood, but he used the harder word, wood. I like to work with wood uh, with my dad. In fact, we were just out in the woods doing wood yesterday, and Josh and Caleb were out there, and Josh was sort of picking things up, and he was like, Dad, and our neighbors are the Coopers. Uh, Dan and Sarah Cooper who go here said, the Coopers' kids are rich. And I was like, what are you talking about? He said, well, when they help their dad do wood, they pay him." And I was like, yeah, and it happened over on this side of the property. You're going to be in the poor house um, with us. So you're going to do wood and you're going to get heat in the winter and that's going to be your pay. So get back to work. Uh, You're never going to be rich. Not in this house. Not now, not ever. Uh, I love what he said. My favorite thing my dad does for me is puts me to bed. And that is my favorite thing is put my boys to bed at night. But he's meaning something else um, by that. He... It's talking about this time we snuggle and I just kind of ball him up like one of those potato bugs and we talk and, and I tickle him and, and uh, it's just a special time for him. Um, and then the last one I love, he said, my favorite thing about my dad is I love him. And there, there was something about that one that you'd have to be a kid to write it out that way because you would typically think my favorite thing about them is they love me. And it's like, that's, that's how God feels about us is that my favorite thing about them isn't that they love me my favorite thing about them is I love them greater love is no man this than you lay down your life your friends and it said we love him because he first loved us and I was like that is so cool his favorite thing about me is that he loves me and then this was the whole card and he actually drew a picture of of he and I and uh, Jason and J.H. Joshua Holders, I actually said, we have the same initials. I'm J.H. too, I'm Jason Holders. He's like, oh, that's cool. He said, Dad, I actually made you a chicken feet though. And so I was like, oh, thanks for doing that. That's so manly. It's just fun to be a dad at that stage. I was thinking about Father's Day a couple months back and uh, a familiar story in Jesus' life caught my attention from a fresh perspective as I thought about guys and what it is to be a guy myself, there's just something about this story that seemed to strike this universal truth about men and I thought it might be helpful to sort of attack and unpack it for us today. If you have your Bible or your Bible on a phone uh, or you wanna follow along on the screen, it's Mark 9 and we're just gonna start by reading in verse 14. Mark 9 starting in verse 14. Says when Jesus came to the other disciples, he saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. And as soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and they ran to greet him. What are you arguing about with them? He asked. And a man in the crowd stood up, Teacher, I brought you my son, who's possessed by a spirit, who has been robbed of speech. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground, and he foams at the mouth and gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. And I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. My staff, they couldn't do it. Sort of what? I feel a lot around here. No, just kidding. I have a good staff. That was just a dig right down there. to I saw you. You unbelieving generation. Here he's talking to his disciples, I believe, based on the context. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. And when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion and he fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Imagine this happening to your kid. And Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has it been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything's possible for the one who believes. And immediately the boy's father explained, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. And When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you to come out of him and never enter him again. And the spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. And the boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. And after Jesus had gone indoors, His disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. I was thinking about this text, this man and his boy, this this father and his son, and the lengths that this father went to on behalf of his son at a time of desperate need. In Mark 9, I want to start in verse 17. I I was struck by the beginning of that. A man in the crowd spoke up, teacher, I brought you my son. A man in the crowd. So many here today feel like just a man in the crowd. And they come and go week after week carrying this unspoken burden and dying a little bit more inside day by day. And they're trying to make everything work out on their own. And they feel like crying out for help is a little pitiful. But I'm I'm telling you, there's a moment when you just have to kill your pride and admit you can't handle things anymore. And just like this passage's description of this particular father, so many here today feel just like they're a man in this crowd here today. Just a man in the crowd. They feel like just another one among so many they feel like the only one who's going through what they're going through in the crowd that surrounds them today they're just a man in the crowd they've been holding this thing together inside and wonder if anyone else feels the same and they keep trying to hold their composure and to play the man but they're starting to buckle cuz they're just a man in the crowd and they look strong and smart and reliable on the outside like everyone else sitting around them today they carry the weight because of what a man is supposed to do, which is protect and provide and to be unyielding. They look around them and everyone else seems so capable and courageous. They, however, are just a man in the crowd. And they want to share their tears and their fears, but don't want to be the first man to stand up. And they want to break down and shout, I can't do this anymore. I can't take anymore. And they want to scream, I might be the only one, but I need help. Can somebody help me? But they sit here today carrying the weight of the world on their shoulders and the word of the world in their heart. Why? Because they just feel like one man and a huge crowd of people, which is what a lot of guys feel like. Anyone feel like that today? With this untold story buried deep in your heart right now and you just keep carrying on dutifully like a dead man walking? You're not just a man in a crowd to God. You might be to me because of the limitations of my scope. But, but God sees each one of you, not just every one of you. Did you know the same kind of story happened multiple times in the scriptures as I was thinking about it, describing men who finally came to the point where they turned to Jesus for help? all of them very capable, all of them very credible leaders and all of them simultaneously as helpless as a little child when it came to helping or saving themselves or the ones that they loved. One came to mind was in Matthew eight, the Roman centurion. In chapter eight of Matthew verse five, it says when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help, which is one of the hardest things for a lot of guys to do for directions, and for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. And Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? And the centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. I think of those two things, just asking for help, which is so difficult. And I've noticed sort of this ubiquitous universal Um, obstacle inside of a man is they just don't feel deserving. They know who they are. And there's a lot of men that don't want you to do anything for them if they know they haven't done anything for you. Like, I, I don't deserve you to come to my house and help me. I've never done a single thing for you, Jesus. And he's like, but that's what grace is. Grace is you getting what you don't deserve or not getting what you do deserve. And a lot of men just aren't really great at receiving mercy and grace and pity and compassion because they feel like they've got to earn it. Because in early age, they always watch their dad's eyes or their mom's eyes darting around looking for that boy that pat on the back, that I'm proud of you, son. You did it, man. You have what it takes. And when you don't hear that, at different like, you know, rites of passage in time, you grow up and it's survival of the fittest and you go into a survival mode and you don't deserve, feel like you deserve anything and you don't want to ask anything of anyone. And Jesus is like, are you going to let me help you or not? Because I'm here for you but you got to get beyond what you think you deserve and what you don't think you deserve and what you think you're capable of and what you have need for. You got to imagine this centurion's like, man, I'm a part of a Roman army and I'm a warrior among warriors. A centurion comes from century. It's he's over a hundred warriors. This guy's a leader of leaders, a warrior of warriors. And consequently, he's a part of the Roman regime, the empire that's, over the Jews right now, subduing them and subjecting them to slavery. And so if anybody didn't deserve to have Jesus come and to come to their house and heal their their paralyzed servant, it was this guy. And Jesus is like, I'm available. I don't care what you've done to me. I don't exchange what you did for me for what, what my desire is to do for you. Are you glad for that? Whatever you've done for him, he doesn't return the same. That's grace. And guys, that that macho thing, you just got to drop that. That I got this, I can handle this, I can take this, I can help you, I can help everybody, I can conquer this, I can overcome this. You got to drop that thing you got to say, Jesus, I need you, and I don't deserve it. I'm not asking you because I could ever earn it or deserve it, but I need you right now because I'm up against something I can't figure out. Another one was a leading priest in the synagogue in Mark 5, verse 21, which says, when Jesus had crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake, and one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, and he pleaded earnestly with him or passionately with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so she'll be healed and live. I guess I resonate with this one more. I'm not like a warrior that leads a bunch of warriors, but I'm a leader of a religious sort of institution or organization called a church. And when a lot of people, they're used to coming to you and you're used to them coming to you, falling at your feet, pleading with you and saying, can you please help me? Can you come and help me? It's, It's so weird to have a role reversal where it's like, I can't help myself. And I can't help my little girl, and my girl, she's dying. My daughter's dying. I, I mean, who ministers to the minister? Who, who pastors the pastor? Who counsels the counselor? Who coaches the coach? There's a moment where everybody needs you and they show up and they think you're you're the answer person. You're the one who's in control and you're in command of your surroundings. What do you do when you're like, I'm not in command of my surroundings. I need somebody else who's a commander of me. And this is the Lord of lords, the king of kings, the God of gods. And all you can do, I don't care how great of a man you are, is cower and bow underneath his authority at some point and say, I need you. Can you be the shepherd of this shepherd? Men in the crowd. Men in the crowd. Back in the text, Jesus goes on to say, you unbelieving generation, verse 19, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him and when... The spirit saw Jesus and immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. I don't know. I I just love when men just speak up, come out of the crowd, fight for their stinking families. I see women doing this, stepping up, speaking up on behalf of their kids' spiritual condition, advocating for their spiritual freedom, man, when a man pushes through the expected norms in society and when a father fights for his family and when a man breaks through the mold of a typically spiritually detached father and goes to bat for the souls of his family, his household, this moves me to the core. I think our world's aching for this. A verse came to my mind as it relates to going to battle and to bat for your children and the hearts of your kids. And I know it doesn't feel natural to a lot of you dudes in here. I just know that. But I wonder what would occur in our world if dads would bring their boys to Jesus and bring their little girls to Jesus and, and would release them to God and cry out for his help. Not just moms, but dads. What could happen in this generation? And Jeremiah wrote in Lamentations 2.19, and imagine a man doing this, because I can imagine a woman doing this, but I just have a hard time picturing in my mind's eye a man doing this, but I have to wonder what would happen in heaven and earth if men would bind and loose in heaven and on earth, what needs to be bound and loose. Arise, men, cry out in the night as the watches of the night begin. Pour out your heart like water in the presence of the Lord. Lift up your hands to him for the lives of your children. There's a lot of things going on here. you got to rise up, and you got to cry out in the watches of the night. You can't be asleep. When God puts some impulse on your heart, some instinct in your heart, some intuition, cry out, intercede for your kids. And and whether you know it or not, guys, you aren't heartless. You've got a heart. You're not soulless. You've got a soul. And that heart wants to be poured out like water before the Lord in his presence for the lives of of your little boy and your little girl, the ones that are over in kid zone right now, do you know their lives hang in the balance of a lot of guys rising up and waking up here today and saying, it's not about me farming it out to somebody else, my wife or a coach or a teacher or kid zone. I gotta be the one to do this passage. And you can, you can moan and complain and kvetch and gripe about your kids, but have you ever done this? Have you ever gone to this place of desperation? Or are you like, man, I just can't figure this out. I can't figure this out. Well, I got a news flash for you. You're not gonna be able to figure a ton of things out with your kids and in your marriage. And sometimes you don't need to figure it out. You just need to bawl your eyes out. Cause you might be good, but you aren't that good. And I'm not that good. I don't care what you lead, and I don't care what you've done in your past and how successful you've been in your past. Life has a really special way of humiliating you and humbling you. And I'm glad it does. After that, the man brings his boy to Jesus, like Jesus said, bring the boy to me. Bring the boy to me. And Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It's often thrown him in the fire or water to kill him. Man, I've been thinking about that this week. Jesus was amazing at asking questions. This is one of the best. How long has he been like this? Because when you come to Jesus, it isn't just about fixing it. And it's not punitive. He wants to know the origin of the story. He wants to know how long it's been like this, how long this boy's been like this, how long as a father he's watched his boy go through this. And I'd ask so many men here today the same kind of question Jesus asked about so many things that have lingered for so long in the shadow of a good many men's hearts in this place. How long has it been like this, guys? How long have you been bearing this burden all alone? How long have you lived like this? How long has your marriage been in this place? How long have you let this go on? How long have you been addicted to that? How long have you hidden that inside? How long ago did someone do that to you? That's one that just hit me a lot. There's just some of you Some unspeakable things have been done to you in your life. And I have just this proclivity and and sort of default to think of sexual abuse just as kind of a a little girl thing, and it's it's higher among girls. But did you know one in six guys statistically in this room when they were boys were sexually abused? That ain't something guys want to talk about. But I'm telling you, that's, that's what Jesus would talk about. How, how long has it been like this from, from childhood, from my childhood? This is where I learned to function this way. How long have you let this go on without telling anybody from childhood? And then there's verbal abuse and there's psychological abuse and then there's physical abuse there's a lot of guys in here and it's happened from childhood and Jesus cares about going back to the beginning how long has this been going on how long has it been since you've asked for help how long have you tried to fix everything on your own How long since you knew your life was spiraling out of control? How long have you known about this before telling someone? How long has it been like this, dude? How how long have you been like this? How long has your boy been like this? And this question of Jesus has been bouncing around in my brain all week because I'm a man and I feel like I let a lot of things go way too long before I honestly and humbly deal with them. Anybody with me? And I just think it's, it's taken care of, you know, that's water under the, under the bridge, you know, that's, let bygones be bygones, you can't cry over spilt milk. I mean, how many things, how many little phrases have we heard down through the years where you're just like, you know, the past is the past, you gotta move past the past, all this stuff. I love that Jesus is like, I wanna go into the past before we go into the future. Because I want to know how long you've been bearing this weight as a father, how long your son has been bearing this weight, and I want to know the weights of your backstory. Because I want to heal, not just today, I want to hear you through and through past, present and into the future. Jesus asked the boy's father, "How long's it been like this from childhood?" It's been a long, a long journey to get to this place for me in the middle of a crowd to scream out looking like an idiot because I don't care anymore because my boy needs help. And he goes on and I love his bravery to keep talking. He says, God, Jesus, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. I love how he he combines himself and conjoins himself with his son. Can you take pity on us and help us? Because my boy is me, and I'm my boy. And whatever he's going through, I'm going through it. And whatever I'm going through, my boy's going to pay for what I'm going through. If I tank, my boy's going to tank. And when my boy tanks, I tank. We're in it together, and I'm asking for collective help for us. It's interesting psychologically this this thing that God knew about fathers and sons being conjoined and you know it. You can try to live in denial of it. You can try to angrily sever what it is between you and your father, but it's always been and it's always gonna be an us thing. And whatever glory and whatever pain has happened, that's something you've gotta reckon with, with Jesus. And he wants to heal that wound. And he wants to affirm that glory. He says, Can you do that for us? And I love what Jesus said. If you can, everything's possible to the one who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. I was asking myself, How many things are still as they are in so many modern day men because they just never ask for that pity and for that help? never admit that they can't fix it and then they go to everyone else instead of Jesus and they never ask Jesus to have compassion on them and and, and this man doesn't believe it will do any good and he scoffed at the idea of church and religion and Jesus for years maybe you're in this place and you're like I'm here today but I I don't know this this whole Jesus stuff it's just a bunch of pie in the sky it's seen as weakness inside of you to admit your need and to go to church, and and to go to Jesus. But I wonder how many boys are going to keep dying because their fathers won't seek out Jesus and ask for his help and move beyond disbelief to belief. How long are we going to let that keep going on? And maybe you're one of those boys that's now a grown man, and your father never broke, And he never let down his guard. And he never surrendered to a higher power than himself. And your life, a casualty of that lost war, stands as a living reminder of your dad who instead of stopping at nothing to save you, he stopped short of bowing to God. And it cost you dearly. And it keeps costing you dearly to this day. And how many wives languish in loneliness because their husband tries to handle everything on his own, no friends, no community, no humility, no honesty, whatever's falling apart, he thinks he can fix it or he doesn't think anything's wrong in the first place. And he keeps saying, don't worry about it. I'm all right. It'll be all right. But you as his wife, you know, it's not all right. You know, he's not all right. You know, it's not all right. Life's not all right. And you pray every day that he'll release control and admit his need for help. Ultimately, that he needs God's help. I I was thinking about this story. What if, after all these years from childhood where his son was going through this kind of vexation of spirit, that finally this man, one man in a crowd, spoke up, and it was because his wife for years had been praying, saying, God, give my husband the courage to speak up and step up and step out. And he finally advocated for his boy, and he he stood in the gap for his son. The answer to a wife's prayer. And then how many men are in this room and asking for help and pity? They'd rather just go to work. And hobbies where they feel like some sense of authority or command over their life and they feel capable there and they feel confident there and they competent there and they feel like leaders there and everybody needs them there and they can fix things there. And you can't get them to stop working for nothing because it's the only place that keeps rewarding their refusal to deal with the harsh reality of critical things that are breaking down at home. But they just won't come home. Let me ask you guys, when things like this happen, things you can't fix or help or control or change, what do you do? What will it take to come out of the crowd and ask for help? The passage goes on when he says, can you help us and take pity? He says, if you can everything's possible for him who believes. He didn't say everything's possible because I can do the impossible. He said, "I, I, I need to let you know your belief is what unleashes me to do the impossible. So I'm not just gonna do something here in your life unless you as a dad cross over from unbelief to belief and you could tell he knew exactly what Jesus said and his role in this whole transaction of this miracle. Do you know how many miracles God wants to do and the man stands in the middle of the miracle and he never unlocks the impossible in his life because he just can't move from unbelief to belief. And I get this because there's something in me that sort of believe in yourself and fix it. And, And it's really hard when you've believed in yourself your whole life to just relinquish that and to let go and relent and just say, God, I don't know why it's going to be a hard habit to break, but I'm going to believe in you, but you're going to have to help me overcome my unbelief in anybody other than myself. And I want to say that's just a man thing, but there's something uniquely man about that. to release God to do the impossible for the sake of those counting on them, around them. I just look at this text and I just think it's easy to do the opposite of what this dude did in this story. It's easy to just stay the man in the crowd, all anonymous and all silent and all passive. And it's easy to give something a try once with other people, and then just give up when it didn't work, kind of like with the disciples when it didn't work. And it's easy to try everything else before giving Jesus a chance. It might be here today. That might be you today. This is your last chance to give Jesus a chance. And it's easy to let things go on for years before desperation demands action. And it's easy to let our pride keep us from asking for compassion and help, isn't it? And it's easy to be suspicious of the supernatural preventing us from seeing the impossible happen in the lives of the people we love. And it's easy to believe in God while simultaneously struggling to overcome an unbelief. This guy in the crowd, he had to be used to being pretty self-reliant and self-sufficient, I'm sure. But what do you do when you really need help and life is spinning out of control? What happens when you don't have the answers or the strength I thought about it in three ways something's attacking you and you don't have the kill power this time and something's falling apart and you don't have the skill power like usual and something's discouraging you and you don't have the willpower anymore and to me the one is body or physical strength the other's mental strength and the other's like that soul strength And there are times where the strength of man gives out either in the body or the mind or the soul. And that killer instinct and that beast mode is gone. And that is just, I will never die, I will never quit. And you're just on the brink and you can feel it. The kill power, skill power, and willpower is waning and if you don't just lift your voice up and you don't in the middle of the crowd just make some sort of noise toward Jesus, toward the heavens, man, I'm going to tell you there's a bunch of stuff in your life like a domino effect. It's just going to be devastating. A lot hangs in the balance in moments, moments like this in a man's life and they don't even know it. There's there's other guys that came to Jesus and you can tell there was some embarrassment for some of them and it was all about the locus of control or the sort of the the onus of responsibility these game-changing life-altering encounters with Jesus I think of Nicodemus who came by night all embarrassed because he didn't want to be seen having a side conversation with Jesus but he wanted to know what do I need to do to be born again Here I am, a religious leader, and I don't want any other guys to know we're having this conversation. So he slinks away in the darkness of night, and he has this conversation like something's not working in my format of religion and spirituality, and I'm a guy and I need help. And he said, you need to be born again. You need a new life in Christ. And he's actually the one that had the conversation for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him, Nicodemus, he's not going to perish, but has everlasting, he'll give you everlasting life. Because Christ didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Verse 17. And then there's Zacchaeus who's up in a tree, this short little dude but he's really, really wealthy and he's a leader in the community and he sees him, he goes to his house and they have a conversation and it changes his economics, it changes his life. There's the thief on the cross who doesn't deserve anything, he belongs up there and there's a thief on the other side and he has a conversation with Jesus and the other guy you would think coming to the end of your life, it's kind of like a foxhole sort of conversion situation. The other guy had steeled himself for so long that even on the brink of death, he could not submit. He could not surrender to Jesus. And the other guy's like, I want what you've got. You're the real deal. I want to go to heaven someday. And he's like, what you can be guaranteed of is today you're going to be with me in paradise. And he's like, dude, I've done all of this stuff. And he just uttered the words, I believe in you. I want you. He says, today you'll be with me in paradise. He didn't even get to live for God. And we're going to see him in heaven. But you know what is sometimes harder than living for God is the first step of just breaking that addiction to living for yourself. And saying, you're my life and you're running my life and I'm not. All these guys hit a wall, hit the the ceiling or they hit the floor and they just cried out to Jesus for help. And nothing in this story we just read would have happened if it wasn't one simple decision and one action that a man in the crowd spoke up. And that's where it all starts. Every single time. There's a lot of things that are nuanced in people's lives. You're all different people in this room. I understand that. Young and old, men and women, boys and girls inside of this room, we're all different. But it all starts with this, Romans 10. You have to call on the name of the Lord to be saved. You got to speak up and say, I need you. And this man, the crowd spoke up and eventually said this, can you have mercy on me and help me? I believe." Only help me overcome my unbelief. Do the impossible today. Please, God, I need you. I believe in you. That's a freeing prayer. That's a salvation prayer. That's a life-altering, game-changing prayer. And some of you are at a tipping point in your life right now with Christ and you can feel it coursing through your veins and your heart is just a pitter pattering and pounding inside of you and you're like, he's talking to me. Why did I even come today? I'm not talking to you. God is talking to you. He's not talking to everyone. He's talking to each one in this room today. And he's not just talking to men because there's some of you women, you have the same sort of arched back, stiff neck, stubborn, rebellious heart. And you have fought to the death in order to not do this. And today is the day to just loosen up, to let go, to break down and to transfer your leadership of your life for his lordship of your life. And I'm not gonna sugarcoat it at all. Some of you here just need to just drop your leadership of your life and you need to come underneath the lordship of Christ. And anywhere he'll take you is better than where you're taking you, I promise you. I promise you. And I thought, just like this guy's prayer, man, take pity on me, have mercy on me, do the impossible in my life. Lord, I'm speaking up, I'm crying out, I need your help. God, I do believe, help my unbelief. God, please, I need you. This is, this is it was these kinds of prayers that changed everything. And I thought, man, I wanna give everybody here, man, woman, boy, girl, young, old, an opportunity, to just in the crowd speak up, speak out this prayer and just lob it towards Jesus and have his Holy Spirit come and abide inside your heart to help you do the impossible in your life right now. And I wrote out a a prayer of salvation. Jesus, can can you have mercy on me and help me? I believe in my heart. Please help me overcome my unbelief today. Do the impossible today in my life, God. I humbly ask this of you. I need you. I believe in you. I can't do this anymore without you. I'm yours. Save me. In Jesus' name, amen. Some of you prayed that, and you're just reading through it right now. Just read through that. And in your heart, connect your heart to those words and say them to Jesus don't say it to me don't say it to yourself I can't save you you can't save you only Jesus can save you and he will hear your cries pour out your heart like water in his presence and he'll, he'll save you I've never done this in 22 years of ministry but Usually it's kind of like bow your head and close your eyes and and have people raise their hand if they prayed prayed that prayer. And I just noticed in this text, and really a lot of them in the Bible is whenever Jesus called people to follow him, he called them publicly. It wasn't this sort of private, personal thing. It was, if you wanna come, just stand up and follow me. And I thought, I've never done this before, but I just, I'm gonna ask people to stand Man, woman, boy or girl, young or old, if they prayed that prayer and they surrendered their life, their leadership to Christ's lordship today because of the bravery of this man, it just takes that sort of bravery. And you're among a bunch of people who would celebrate that in a big way. But some of you don't need to just mutter it under your breath or say it in your head and leave. You actually need to take the step the action step of moving your body and taking your kill power and your skill power and your willpower and giving it all to God And this act of standing in the presence of people demonstrates a bravery and a courage that unleashes the impossible, miraculous power of God to save you and to begin saving others through you. And so I'm gonna ask, if you prayed that, would you just stand? To it? Well, somebody already stood to their feet. Hey, they jumped the gun. Yeah, just stand up. You got others standing. Man, just stand right up. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I'm going to give you about another 20 seconds. You want to join these? Yeah. Yes. Awesome. In the back. Yeah, over here. Over here. Anybody else? Yeah, stay standing, because I want to pray for you. I applaud your bravery. Just stay standing right where you are. Just stay standing. Let me pray for you. Can everybody join me and pray for these brave souls? God, God, we pray for these that have stood, that have released and relinquished control of their life. to You surrendered. They know their reasons. They know the place they're at. They know what it means. They know what hangs in the balance. And I pray that you would just do the impossible in their life. That you would break that spirit of unbelief and give them a spirit of trust and faith and belief with the same spirit of risk and bravery and courage you gave them today. May they leave this place forever changed. And when they hit, those moments in their life where they just can't do it and, and the strength of men fails and we as humans are finite creatures. May they reach out to the infinite God with infinite power to infinitely get them over the hurdle in their life. We pray that you would protect them and as you've come to live inside of them, God, may they live out of that wellspring that's inside of their heart ever flowing, to know they're not alone when they leave this building today. You're going with them because you live in them, and may they tap into that compassion and pity and help every moment of every day. We love you, God. You are the greatest father. I love my earthly father, and I love my heavenly father, and it's so great to have two dads, and for some in this room, they can't really look at their human dad and say that relationship's there but thankfully you offer a second dad a dad that's not a reflection of our father but a dad that's a perfection of our father a dad who is what our our father could never be even the best dad in this place so we look to you as our perfect father and you are a father says in James it's always the father of lights that's pouring out good gifts on his children So we honor you on this Father's Day as our Heavenly Father. And all the dads in this room, we just give them props for all that they do to carry the load that they carry to fight for us. Give them strength, God. Let them know you love them. Let, you know, let them know you're proud of them, that they have what it takes. Fill them with strength. Our world is crushing men right now, just killing them, shredding them, cutting them off at the knees, field dressing them like deer, deer ripping out their innards. Our world is just coming against men. You are for men. You are for women. And we just want you to fill these men with your power. You know their design. You know your dreams for these men. You know your desires for these men. Now unleash it in our fathers today and these men in this place. And we pray this in the powerful, saving, mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said amen. Can you give it up for these standing today? But we got an awesome thing planned. It's a little early. It's 1120 but I hope you came with an empty stomach because we got half chickens for everybody in this place. Don't leave, um, hang out in the loud, loud lobby. You do know this. We know it's acoustically horrible. It's loud. I've had 214 people tell me that. You're not the only one. We're gonna try to fix that. Give us a minute, okay? It's only our third week. We love you. Happy Father's Day. Stick around.